Hello and welcome to PMP Mini. I'm Renella. And I'm Blue. And we're here to talk about game design, but in a smaller dose than usual. So the more astute among you may have noticed that for a lot of last year, we were not doing regular episodes and then sort of vanished after summer. Um, life was busy. We thought we're ready to go back to normal recording and we kind of weren't. And so after some like just embracing that we were on a break and running with it, having some thoughts about what we wanted to do, what like wasn't working for us in terms of the production pipeline and things, we've sort of settled on a new smaller format for the moment. And we might come back to our regular format when we like are particularly impassioned about a topic. We really think that the five have time slash have time. We might. And I think the five game setup that we had was really good and interesting and provide a lot of really unique angles and discussion points but yeah we're gonna have each episode now focusing on just a game or two usually Mm -hmm. sort of two games ready to talk about but if we spend a lot of time talking about one and then we content with that discussion we might just talk about one it not not to whinge takes a weird amount of time to go through five games not a lot necessarily but like a weird shape of time when you're dealing with a lot of uh, shifting parts in your life. Uh, just It's such a weird thing. Yeah, because it's like you've got to work out five games all yeah. about the same topic, which is a fun and honestly, actually, maybe the most fun thing. Like trying yeah. to think of the list is like a really interesting design analysis process when you need to have the criteria that every single game has to be say something different. Yeah, You can't just have five grappling hooks. You need to have five distinctly functionally or like thematically different grappling hooks. Like it's super meaningful cool. differences that don't mm-hmm. overlap. But yeah, as a peek behind the scenes, I don't know how much people care about this. It takes us multiple call sessions to work out a list of five, um, which unfortunately is just a bit of time that we neither of us have at the moment. Yeah, and then you want to get familiar with the games. There's often a lot of like playing games that maybe you wouldn't usually play and that's not hard playing games is not a tough thing to do no but when you've got limited time you tend to want to play the things you want to play shock <laughs> horror um so hopefully that's winch we love yeah, doing yeah hope hopefully that's a bit of context for why we have a top uh, a format shift for mm-hmm. a bit uh hopefully for a bit we'll see and so, so for this episode I want to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart, filler enemies. Filler enemies, I think, get a bit of a bad rap if you sort of read a lot of, I don't know, 2010, like, good game design articles. There's a lot of, like, every encounter should be meaningful and deep and everything should have, you know, be a rich experience. But filler enemies serve, like, a lot of important little roles that I think can easily be dismissed. And I really want to talk about one of my favorite examples of using Filler enemies, enemies that are very easy to defeat, enemies that don't pose much threat or challenge, um, have a great role in the Musou genre or the Warriors franchise by Koi Temko. For the sake of this discussion, I'm going to choose One Piece Pirate Warriors 3, but honestly, these games are fairly similar in their overall structure and fundamentals and most of them just change like a lot of the nuances of the design as opposed to being deeply different games so one piece pirate warriors 3 is a 2015 warriors game as their or muso game as they're called developed by omega force the games are characterized primarily by a large amount of foes that you fight most of which are extremely trivial to defeat this particular entry was directed by Tomoyuki Kitamura and designed by Hideo Suzuki. So these games often feature characters that are very, very powerful as protagonists that have a large amount of tools that 
older damage, usually killing the trivial enemies fairly quickly and varying mostly in how much space they cover and how they move the character across the battlefield. So some moves might fire projectiles, some moves might have a huge AoE, some might move your character to the other side of an area or something. And so a lot of the choices in the combat aren't really about how do I defeat this enemy because defeating them is a difficult thing, but how can I best defeat this group of enemies that gets me closer to the next goal that I have? I, I even find sometimes killer enemies are collateral in Warriors games. Like, you don't even mean to. They just happen to be there. Which is, I yeah. think, what leads to a lot of the perception of, like, they're not interesting, quote-unquote, right? right? Like, as in, a lot of people don't give them a lot of thought. Yeah, and to be fair, like, that's sort of True, because if you're playing them on a lot of like normal campaign modes and things, they tend to not throw a lot of challenge at you. And the challenge isn't really about defeating any individual enemy. It's about this management of the broader battlefield. So usually defeating smaller enemies will allow you to capture bases and the bases will sort of define the flow of battle because Muso games tend to have a large battlefield where a lot of small battles are going on that you might not be a part of. And you're sort of an RTS metaphor, like on a battlefield on like an RTS map, you are the unit that matters is kind yeah. of how Muso games work. You're the hero. You are literally, you are the hero. Yes. The, it's interesting because you are always in a lose situation unless you act. Every every challenge in a Muso game is your side will lose out unless you do something. Yes. Uh, and I, that sounds a given. Obviously, you need to do something, otherwise you lose. But, you know, in a lot of war scenarios, one individual person shouldn't matter that much but that's the fantasy that they're selling you in a muso game it's really yeah and so because of this because there's a lot of moving parts in the battlefield that are sort of going on without your aid time is the real factor here so how you choose to spend resources and spend your time dealing with a lot of these smaller enemies is the tactics is the choice making of the game and by virtue of them being easy when you're say clearing out a room you have the mental energy left to like look at the map and go, oh, there's a message. Sanji needs my help. I'm going to finish this really quickly. I'm going to burn a big resource right now. So maybe a Muso attack that hits a huge wide area of effect that is very powerful. So it kills everything in a room, basically. And then you go and help him. But while you're doing that, one of your old bases is now being overrun. So you might decide to not fully commit to helping him to go and deal with that or let that base get more taken so you can focus your help in other places. So the small yeah. enemies aren't a challenge to you. The filler enemies aren't a challenge to you, but they are changing up other participants in the battle that you're not necessarily always observing. Yeah, they they are the very visible, invisible hands that massage the, the difficulty of an encounter. And it's very, it's such a cool design space because individually, no filler enemy is supposed to be a threat. They're supposed to be so low on the mental stack that you don't even need to think about getting rid of them. But they are a visual representation of the game going, and now you need to look at this part. And now you need to look at this part of the map, right? Like, And, and it's such a, a map driven, which is, I don't think that when I first started playing a Muso game, that's not what I thought of it as. No, the Muso games I find are really interesting and they sort of present themselves aesthetically as being more akin to something like 
Devil May Cry or Bayonetta, like you think of them as character yeah. action games. And when you look at them like that, they are awful. Um, yeah, they are. But that's not what they're about. They are about this weird, like RTS action game hybrid that the games are honestly very bad at communicating well in their marketing and even in the actual games themselves until you get to often post game content or harder modes. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever dismiss anyone for not noticing what they are yeah it's it's almost possible to play it without using the map but you know the fact that you need the map kind of shows that the space the area management that's the word i'm looking for is you know very critical to um the game even just uh even at just the base level of my objective is in the next space my objective is in the next space and then you just keep pushing in that linear fashion even if that's all that you need to do because there are some levels in at least some of the muso games where it's very linear you just keep pushing forward in like a very base to base uh yeah progression that's right like a lot of just going base to base and then if the game says hey someone's in a real situation you run to them and you'll probably be fine in a lot of it um it's often more the challenge levels that you end up having to start making these more tactical choices about it but yeah so all these weak enemies tie into that timing the distance that you take to go from place to place matters. So do you route through and like defeat a bunch of filler enemies along the way to get like a base that you had worked on previously? Or do you go straight, do that thing and then come back? So they all, they're all tying into you. This like spatial aspect of the map and the timing aspects of the map that I just think is really interesting and distinct and always like to me highlights that filler enemies have a really important purpose in the game. And as credit to like the pedigree of the genre and the designers of these games, a like compliment to filler enemies and just the ebb and flow of battle is really the map design as well. Having interesting shortcuts for only hero characters to take is really cool. It means that traversal is not, you know, there is a, you have better options for traversal than the bulk of an army, which makes sense. The army won't use a tiny mountain path, but you know, you you get that. Um, some of the really fun maps that I've played in Muso games have verticality. Either yeah. one of the really cool ones is if you have to fight uphill, if you have to go th- uphill through an enemy's territory, and you can see all the filler enemies having to go around taking all the big paths, and but for yourself on the way up you have to do that but on the way down you can just jump down yep. and just jump back to an older base to defend it quickly that's really cool mm, it really is yeah the map design is like the really crucial thing in like making these games interesting and also often one of the bigger complaints in this series like when games don't have good navigation tools to get around the map it can be a big problem because then you often do end up having to just burn time between the things you actually want to do which is interesting right because we talk about like you want to get to a place quickly and the urgency is there if the player ends up spending enough time to think to themselves oh i'm just running across a field now huh that's the gameplay huh that's not fun (laughs) no and, and i think that's a lot of um when you're new to the genre and you don't use active movement I think that's where a lot of uh, dissatisfaction for the, you know, this type of game comes from. It's just, oh, I just have to go and save those guys from these things that I don't even struggle to deal with, right? So it's a bit frustrating in that regard sometimes for their enemies in Muso games. It's just, they're not a threat to me. Why are they a threat to these supposedly competent allies that I have? 
yeah, how did these guys take over one of my bases when they can do nothing to me? Mm. Uh, so there is that kind of like dissonance there, which is not easy to fix. Yeah. What did you, you um, had a game that you thought did filler enemies in like an interesting way. What yeah. game did you bring to the table? Um, so when you mentioned filler enemies, uh, one of the first games that came to mind immediately was Killing Floor. Killing Floor was one and two. Um, which is a cooperative horde shooter developed by Tripwire Interactive. This is, and sorry, stumbling a bit. The reason I thought of this is because very similar to uh, the Muso games, the filler enemy for this are called clots. So in a game where your goal is to just survive waves of basically zombies, the game calls them zits, um, shambling at you, the filler enemies aren't a danger in themselves. They don't tend to do too much damage to you and so they rest pretty low on your mental stack um especially when compared to the bigger threats who can kill you in a couple of hits that's scary uh, a lot of the enemies in killing floor are melee in range they won't hurt they tend to not be able to hurt you unless they are right up in your face and so the danger of clots in killing floor is they restrict your movement in a game where you have a gun and can back up and shoot the big thing until the big thing is dead the clot is able to just hold you still that's a great that's such a great filler enemy design because it means that on their own they're not a threat but if something else bigger is barreling down on you and you have poor spatial awareness you're just gonna get grabbed and just watch as the big thing kills you it's they're a bit higher threat, I think, than like Muso filler enemies. Yes, but it's very much the same space. Yeah, like if you if you ignore the filler, then it will come to bite you. Yeah, precisely because a lot of it's happening where you're not seeing it. Like in Muso, it's taking over a base. In Killing Floor, it's taking over a doorway, <laughs> effectively. Yeah, it, it's in the corner of your screen where you can see the little bugger put his hands out and reach out for you, and you just didn't shoot him, and. That's a that's a bad feeling. I've died to just clot grabs and then the big stuff barrels down on you and there's nowhere to go. And it feels very bad. I think that the other thing like filler enemies do, and I wonder if it's the same killing floor. So, you know, in Musa, you have a wide and varied moveset. And part of the fun of these games is, of course, the power fantasy of just using these cool and impressive moves but the yes. filler stuff gives you a chance to learn and tinker with it i know for me as someone who's never been good at shooters i've always appreciated in other shooters like i don't know borderlands like lots of fairly easy enemies that give me a chance to like be like i know how to aim a gun maybe um does this do you feel this sort of role is like filled by kind of yeah yes kind of uh so team composition in a cooperative shooter game uh, matters uh, when you climb the difficulties in killing floor it becomes uh whoa i'm losing a word here important crucial for a team to start having people dedicated to clearing filler uh so in general with the right setup the clots should never be a problem because easiest answer have a fire bug that just places a carpet of flame down and when they walk through it they all panic and burn and die. You don't notice how important it is to have these classes until you don't. So mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing. That that's that's a lot of great power fantasy of like I shouldn't struggle with this. Um, so I'm gonna take this thing that just trivializes it, and then when you don't do that, you realize, wow, that was really really important to that experience, and vice versa. The big single target hitters will potentially trivialize the big stuff, mm -hmm. and so it's that kind of thing as opposed to. 
really like giving you training experience. You don't really feel how good your big gun is until you hit a big thing. Yeah. There's a there are very big guns in the game that cost a lot of resources to fire. I have spent those on killing like a single clock before. And mm-hmm. it's never a good feeling, but like yeah, it, it is still a you know, with the clock, I'm still gonna try and aim for the head. A body shot would kill it, but I'm still gonna try and aim for the head. They they are still at the end of the day moving targets that yep. are fine for you to practice on. Cool. Uh, so so yeah, yeah, filler enemies they place a lot of sort of tension with like space and control of space, and they add a lot to like the mental stack factors in both of these games. I think is pretty interesting, and I think is a really important aspect of like games, like considering the mental stack. Yep. And you know, Muso does a lot of this like. The overwhelming map that like has you need to factor in all different battlefields sounds like the clots like are doing sort of a similar thing, but on like a smaller scale because it's not as intensely haughty. Don't forget the clot behind you. And mm-hmm. now that, that's the one that's going to kill you. Mental stack is interesting. It's, it's such a fascinating topic. I highly recommend if you're thinking about games from a from a critical slash design perspective, mental stack is a concept to get familiar with. It's just how much you want the player to keep track of at any given time. And you can use it in so many interesting ways, like deliberately overwhelming to like erase like feelings of, you know, control, like things like Smash Brothers use sort of an overwhelming mental stack to be like, it's just a fun, silly time. But that's a very different topic for another day. So having spent some time talking about filler enemies, if you had any games that you think do filler enemies in interesting ways, aside from these two, we'd love to hear more about them, get a bit of a chat going on about that. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on various things. We actually put this show on a website called Pixels for Breakfast that has a lovely online community too. And we're going to put a link to a Discord in these show notes too if you want to chat with us there about some of these games or other filler enemy things. Um, we also write some content for that website. Um, it's been a bit quiet for the last while, but that should be ramping up hopefully a little more this year. Um, I'm going to have an article there soon about backlogs. And you can find some of my non-writing gaming on Medium. Blue, do you have anything upcoming possibly you want to plug or just existence itself? No, nothing confirmed. I do have stuff in the works. Uh, I have an article that is in first draft, but it's not ready. Mm-hmm. So maybe the next time this is out, maybe, maybe by then. Maybe. But yeah, thank you everyone um, for listening as always. I know that last time we said we we're back that we didn't stay back for very long but hopefully this time we actually will be and it was abrupt we apologize it yeah. just happened i went so, away for two months <laughs> i moved a second time um yeah, so. to today's episode like we're very much like getting back into the flow of things and we hope to get back to our um, earlier standard as soon as possible so yeah with that thank you for listening <laughs>